0: Well, hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and happy end of May. Um, Later on, for our inbox, we have a listener who's wondering if background differences and past sin struggles are reasons to stop dating her boyfriend. One of our counselors is going to offer some advice there. And then for our culture segment, our panel of pastors rejoins us to continue the conversation on how to respond when a Christian leader falls. All right, here we are for our roundtable, and we thought it'd be a good time to revisit the topic of community, especially as single young adults, uh, specifically finding family as a Single person. For those of you who maybe don't even live near your family uh, because you moved somewhere else for a job or to go to school or something, or maybe you kind of feel like your parents uh, kicked you out of the house and now <laughs> you're on your own. Maybe you have siblings who have gotten married and you're kind of like, so who's my family now? Because they've kind of all got their own families. It's kind of a weird spot to be in. And then you throw uh, into that, into that mix, the church, and you feel like, okay, here I am in this church. It's mostly families. Where do I belong? And so uh, I think we're going to have a good conversation around this. Fortunately, we have John, Paige, and Peter here. Hey, y'all. Hello. Hello. Hi, Lisa. Hello. Okay. Um, you guys are, are living this. Every one of us on this panel is currently single. Uh, so we have to be in this space and understand this space. And maybe we've had uh, differing levels of, um, you know, contentment in this space. <laughs> we'll see how this plays out. But, um Well, first of all, you're all uh, local to Colorado. You all live here now, but you also all moved to Colorado from out of states. You're kind of that person I was talking to uh, as I introed this. Have you found friends who feel like family where you are now, or has this been a struggle for you?
1: I definitely say that I have, and I've been very fortunate in that regard because I had a lot of people reach out to me when I first moved, I'll never forget one of the first situations where somebody reached out to me. It's a woman who's old enough to probably be my mother said, hey, um, you're new to the area. We'd love to have you over for dinner. And why don't you come over sometime? And I went and three years later, I'm still great friends with them and I've been able to spend birthdays with them. So I almost kind of feel like I was very fortunate to find family that reached out to me.
2: Yeah, um, I've been able to find uh, some really good community here, um, both like friends that are around my same age that feel like family members, um, and then like John was talking about, where you know it's it's uh, people who are my parents' age and people who have their own families here and have kind of invited me over for meals or um, done stuff like that. It's been really cool, um, just the community that I've been able to build through. A couple connections here, like a couple people that I met who took that extra step to invite me to someone else or let me over or uh, introduce me to someone else.
3: Yeah, similar to Peter, just been able to make connections with other singles and with families of a variety of different ages. Um, and I think when I showed up, knowing next to no one, my philosophy at church was just show up so much that they won't be able to ignore <laughs> your presence. <laughs> and that was really the key. I mean, it takes time, but to just getting those invitations and being invited into people's families.
0: Yeah, that's good. Okay, so it makes me think here, I, I do want to take a step back and have you guys define what family is for you. I mean, because I think if you're, if you're going to talk about like your family, what are you talking about when you say that? Like, give us a little picture of what your, your family is and that could be your bio family or whatever. Cause we're talking family, we're talking community. I think we might be confusing folks as to what, what this is. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, when you're away from your family of origin, you're looking for family and community where you are. So that's legit too. But, um, how would you say define family for yourself and, and maybe how that applies to singles and, um, Yeah, and we'll go from there.
1: Something that immediately comes to my mind, although nobody, I would say, officially replaces a biological family, having a family as a single person when you're away from your own by blood is just a group of people who you can be yourself around. And you know that they are welcoming to you whenever you need something and you can call on them when... You need a friend. Uh, Another thing that immediately comes to mind is one of the best pieces of advice that I got when I moved to the area was try to find people in different age groups. Find people who are peers. Find people who are old enough to be your parents. And then find people who are old enough to be your grandparents. And I have found that having that variety goes a long, long way to have people that I can relate to in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Jumping
2: off of what you said, John, I think the age group thing is big, but I would, I would further define it as like someone that you're comfortable in their house. Like you're comfortable being there. You're like, you feel like this is a home for you. You feel like there's someone that you can talk to anything about and there's no like pressure to perform socially or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think just comfortability, um, and having having people of different ages, having people who are the ages of your siblings, having those type of relationships like you would have with your siblings, um, if they are, your siblings or not, <laughs> or your parents or your grandparents, that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, I think it, people start to become more family than friends when coming over to their place isn't an event anymore. You're mm-hmm. just showing mm-hmm. up for dinner because you're a part of dinner now. Um, I think that's an example of how those, yeah, those friendships that take a long time to turn into family, you get to that level of comfort where everyone's themselves, you're just doing life together. You're not uh, scheduling hangouts anymore. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, because I think there's something about, you
0: know, a biological family that's assumptive that, um, you know, you have the benefit of shared history and stuff, and you have the ties of growing up together. But at some point, you know, as with any relationship, you have to work at those relationships. It's no longer I mean, if you're not in the same state as your parents, or your brothers and sisters and stuff, you're not doing everyday life with them. So you're you know, I would say, like, for me, having lived in a different state than most of my family for a long time now, um it's not you know some of my extended family i'm not even really that close to and the ones that i'm trying to maintain relationships with it's it's hard work you know and i have to do that and so that's why i think this conversation is so great in just realizing that you know, we all need to be in relationship and we've got to go after this, um, sometimes really intentionally. You can't just say like, oh, well I'm besties with my brother because when we were seven, we did, you know, (laughs) by the time you're like 25, 26, that seven year old memory is kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever there, there it is. So, Mm -hmm. um, anyway, just a side, a side note on that. Um, What would you say as far as like um, besides, say, church and Bible studies, small group or whatever, what are some meaningful ways that you guys have been able to connect with others and build relationships with folks?
3: Um, Two of the kind of older set of older couples that have impacted me um, was One, I lived with them for a year, so that was a supernatural way to become a part of their family. Um, And then a second one was a former boss I had and his wife just took a real investment in me. Um, So those were two great opportunities I found to kind of look and see, okay, who's around me? Oh, look at these wonderful couples in my life. Let's pursue that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, for me, because we live in Colorado, hiking has been a great way to build friendships and to make memories. Um, Peter and I have even done a couple of big mountains together, and one of my roommates, we were pretty good buddies before we got into hiking, but we actually became much better friends through hiking, and he almost kind of feels like an extended family member now. So I would say just um, practically speaking, wherever you are, take advantage of what the pros are in that area and for here in Colorado hiking is one of those where you can get out and just do some fun stuff with some friends
2: yeah yeah I think um having something where there's a similar interest um is super huge to get connected somewhere um so like there's actually a group of they're mostly young adult friends who play frisbee on Saturdays and so I Soon after I moved out here, you know, moved out here by myself, no family around here, um, tried to get connected as a single person, um, got involved with this Frisbee group and um, met some people through there. And then even through there have met, uh, like, someone who plays Frisbee invited me over to their house for Easter and so met their uh, her parents. And we just, like, it was just a family atmosphere. Um, and so being able to have things where... You have a similar interest and that kind of creates connections, creates friendships, and then you can build upon those so they become like family members.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Do you guys ever feel, um, you know, I, I feel like this would maybe most often happen at church or maybe like when you go back home to your family and extended family gatherings and stuff. Do you ever feel left out because you're single or the conversations that are happening around like, you know, parents, grab your kids or this is family day at whatever and you're kind of like, okay, when's, you know, single adult day or what family am I part of or why do I not get a discount because I can't bring my two kids or whatever? Um, Where would you say it especially um, can be felt keenly in the sense of maybe feeling like you're, oh, I'm single, you know, whatever, and how do you overcome that?
1: I feel like for me, That my family, thankfully, has been very gracious to me in that regard. And a lot of my friends, honestly, have been really considerate. They tend to not bring it up too much. Where I find that it kicks in is when I'm on social media. Mm. And that's a lot of times where I can see the announcement. I can see the... uh, Just even yesterday, I was on social media, and a lot of my friends who got married in college are now expecting... And I'm excited for them, but on the other hand, there's kind of this temptation to think, oh man, is that going to happen for me? When is that going to happen for me? So that's, I honestly find when I'm by myself Mm -hmm. and I see what's going on in other people's lives that it's harder for me to come to grips with the fact that I am still single.
0: That's interesting you say that, John, because it's almost like looking at those kind of benchmark life events. And right. You feel, it's easy to feel left behind when people mm-hmm. are like, these are my peers and they're now in a different stage than I am. So good point there.
3: I think the, the times I feel it the most are usually right after that event with all of the families. You know, I go home from church and I go home to an empty house or, we, you know, we all get together for whatever holiday, but then I go home alone. And I think, um, first of all, (laughs) anticipating that feeling now that I have gone through that and being like, oh, okay, Um, I need to redirect towards truth and um, understand that even even for those families that are going home together, they're still facing struggles. They're still going to have interpersonal conflict. Um, (laughs) So not that it's kind of a negative way to look at encouraging myself, (laughs) but it's just remembering that that family isn't going to be the end all to all of these emotional complications I'm feeling.
2: Both of those are really good. You guys, um, I would add holidays. I think that's just a natural, a natural one. Like I've gone back for Christmas and bigger holidays and that kind of stuff, but even things like Easter or, um, you know, even smaller ones like Memorial Day, Labor Day where you kinda have parties or that kind of stuff. Um and if you are alone it can feel very lonely. So trying to be intentional about like hanging out with friends on those days or um having a meal with a uh, like a family that makes it feel more like, okay, I am a part of something. I am uh I don't even know wanted is the right word, but um just that I'm not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um even through, you know, holidays are hard just because they're benchmarks and there's a lot of childhood memories and all that kind of stuff through that.
0: Yeah, I think it's so interesting because it's very, I see this myself and, and in others I talk to, it's very easy to think that marriage just solves a bunch of problems and that all of a sudden you've got this built in i mean i remember a friend telling me once several years ago like i just want to get married because then it's like someone who's just covenanted before god to like care about me and stick with me <laughs> you know and it just that sounds so sad you know like they just have to if they're going to be obedient to god but really i mean that that longing for that is is so real and that matters but I like to think of it as a two-way street because, again, I've talked to, and I mean, here at Focus on the Family, we've heard from many married people who are just as lonely in marriage as many single people are. And I think it helps us to have compassion and realize that, you know, many of my married girlfriends are like, They look at my life and they're like, oh, Lisa, I wish that, you know, you seem to have so many friends and you're always doing something fun and I'm just stuck at home with these kids and they feel lonely too. So it's not like they have all this built in stuff. Um, So kind of to that point, I would love for us to talk about um, what it looks like for us to be the initiators and us to be the welcomers and to look for community and look for friendship and pour into other people's lives. How have you gone about doing that and kind of leading on that front?
1: Something that really helps me is if I'm praying and somebody comes to my mind, is to reach out and send a text message and say, hey, do you want to get together for coffee sometime or can you go to dinner in the coming days? And a lot of times when I'm able to just kind of get out of my own head and really reach out to somebody, I realize, hey, they're dealing with a lot of the same struggles that I might be dealing with, or they may be going through something that is much more serious than something that I have been facing. And just taking that simple step of initiation, it's amazing to me how after I leave a conversation, having reached out to somebody, how just fulfilled I f- feel on the inside saying, you know what, I tried to reach out to somebody else and I ended up getting blessed because of it. It, it, it really just is amazing how that simple step can go a long way.
2: Yeah, no, that's really great, John. Um, anything that reminds you of people that makes you um, just ideas to go out and do something together, to just spend time together, to be that initiator. It just takes a lot of courage and it takes intentionality. Um, and it's it is really, if your prayer life, if you are like connected to the Lord, He will bring those things to your mind more and give you the courage to to reach out to. You know send a text message or connect with people on messenger or whatever it is um but it is so key because um i think your point behind this lisa is like it is so easy for us to sit and just like play the victim ourselves Mm -hmm. and be like oh yeah i'm here by myself i don't have any family this is lame yada yada instead of um actually being like no like there are people out here who i've met there are people that i can deepen relationships with like how can I be intentional and take the steps, be courageous, be bold, ask people, just ask to spend time with people,
0: yeah, or think that because i mean I think this assumption happens too often, and that is because we 're the single people, we have to be the takers, you know, mm. and that 's not true I mean again i we 're all adults, and just you might have ways that you can give to other people that maybe the married people can't or you know i i think of this um with my love for the the old ladies in my life you know and and it is a great relationship because i no longer have a mom and dad but these old ladies they kind of can take me under their wing as their daughter or granddaughter and then i can kind of pour into their lives and we can have this great relationship um And so that that is really fun. Or, for example, me with some of the younger adults that I know, you know, I have a place that's pretty big. And so if they need a a place to come and crash or hang out or I can be the one to host a party where maybe they can't if they have a small living space. And it's just, again, that way of being that person who can uh, pour into others and offer something that I have that they may not have. So
3: good point. I think where it gets challenging is with young families and sometimes they would much rather have you over Mm -hmm. than pile you know all of their kids into your house that probably isn't (laughs) quite as equipped for kids as theirs is and then they're stressed out the whole time (laughs) because their kids are running
0: around (laughs) like at
3: their house i can just put them down for a nap they're good to go um But it can be also hard to say, hey, can I come over? Like, that's just a little too forward. Mm -hmm. So what I found to be helpful is find that shared interest. Like, oh, you've never played this game? Well, I think you'd really love it. We should play it sometime. When would work for you? And then that's probably going to be at their place. But you're still finding a way to connect, you know, finding something you both enjoy without just imposing on them. Saying, hey, can I have free dinner sometime? Yeah, yeah. Well, and then for that person, like, you know, again, John,
0: to John's point, all of his peers that are getting married and now having kids, like for me, that mom, who's a friend of mine she might want to just come over to my place and chill and not have her kids there. So why, you know, I, I find a lot of moms will say to me, like, don't forget me over here. Don't just assume that because I have kids, that's all I want to do is just like hang out with my husband and kids all the time. I still want to do girl stuff and guys still want to get out and watch a game or do something on the weekend or, or whatever. So, you know, we don't need to discriminate based on relationship status in Mm -hmm. that sense. I think that's good. Yeah. Um, okay so so cool we've talked a lot about you know what it looks like to go after family to look for family um, to kind of be in this space kind of in our last uh, couple of minutes what would you say um, I would love to kind of just capitalize a little bit on John mentioned this earlier but how do we keep from getting discouraged when we see people that we feel are living lives that we wish we had when we feel like we have been you know maybe, pun intended singled out at church or in our families or we can't seem to be in a gathering of people without them being like so you know have you thought about getting married or when are you going to start dating someone or when are you gonna how do you navigate all that the hopefulness and probably very good intentions on the parts of other people but also still maintaining your identity as as someone who's whole and complete
3: i was just um reading in Isaiah last night and I cannot quote the verse to you but the gist was like the God who formed the whole earth and all the heavens he formed you and that just encourages me when I think about being single and just the life path I'm on like the God who created all things he created me this way he has this plan for me right now so, so he obviously knows far better than I do about Um, his will for my life and the good he has for me in it. So that really encourages me to think of how powerful he is and how all-knowing compared to my finite desires and knowledge.
1: Yeah, and on that uh, same note page, just about recognizing God's plan for our life, I heard a pastor one time say something that just really stuck with me about insecurity and about comparison. And his quote was, The reason we struggle with insecurity is because we're comparing our behind the scenes to everybody else's highlight reels. Mm -hmm. So the fact of the matter is we all have stuff going on behind the scenes that other people don't see. And anytime I'm tempted to compare myself with another person, I need to remember, hey, I'm only seeing things through a filtered lens. I'm not seeing the stuff behind the scenes that they may be struggling with. So when I'm in my behind the scenes and I feel like nobody else sees me, that's when I have to go to God and remind myself that he's always there and I can talk to him. I can pray and he hears me. And that is just a beautiful, beautiful place to go to.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I go to the Lord for sure. First, um, and I would also add like you could also go to other people and, and ask them for that vulnerability ask them for that hey what are you struggling with how can we have you know getting those those relationships that are mutually beneficial and deep and that you can share um share your life with so that you don't feel lonely um a lot of people I mean yeah when you're alone it's hard not to feel lonely so uh being able to get outside of yourself, get other people's perspectives, like you said earlier, John, um, is so important.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Well, you guys, thanks so much for weighing in. It, it really is, and I like the whole cross-generational emphasis of this because I think one one thing you'll find, uh, I've noticed this too, as people get older and then their kids leave the house, then all of a sudden they have more free time. And so I found myself connecting with kind of some of the empty-nest boomers who are like hey, we totally have time on a Saturday to do a hike or we would love to have you over for a movie night or whatever because it is one of those seasons. Not to forget the young families, but, um, Mm -hmm. but it is good to just find those commonalities in people that you even wouldn't expect, so... Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to have to find out from John. He talked about all these other, you know, these generations in his life. And, John, if you think I'm in the grandparent <laughs> generation, <laughs> I will cut you. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, we'll see. I'll, I'll find that out and maybe report back to you guys what he says. We'll see. But you guys, thanks so much for weighing in on this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Lisa.
4: If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice of the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker If you feel lost If you need freedom, save it. He's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker.
0: Well, hey, everyone. We are back for this week's culture segment. And this is, if you heard us last week, a continuation of a conversation that we started with three pastors uh, talking about the topic of when a Christian leader falls. And last week, I referenced the article that we published at Boundless uh, just last month uh, by Sam Crabtree, which was actually titled The Same Thing, uh, talking about really what what this means for us and what are 10 practical steps uh, that we can look towards as we occupy this space as we try to trust our leaders as we trust god in the midst of all of it and uh really good stuff from him and so i want to welcome back Evan, Brady, and Mark. Hey, guys. Hello. Good to have you back. Okay, I'm also going to say, if you're just like listening now and you didn't hear part one, go back and listen to part one because that's kind of where we set the stage for why are we even having this conversation. So, um, well, we're going to pick it up here and we're going to get practical today in talking about, okay, what does this mean for our daily lives? Because unless all of us just want to like leave our churches and not ever listen to or read Christian leaders again and just be like, oh, it's just going to be Jesus and me, which is very unhelpful. Um, We got to figure out a way around this conversation. And so I want to kick off uh, today's conversation by kind of asking a proactive question. And that is, okay, so for the average churchgoer, and again, we're talking to 20 and 30 somethings. So most of our folks aren't like, you know, in super duper leadership in a church or have a lot of inside intel what does it look like for us to honestly show honor to our pastors without propping them up on a pedestal Mm. or assuming that they have all the answers they are infallible they are you know we're just gonna fall in line and do everything exactly as they say and not be wise in the way that we interact with them and other leaders what's your answer to that
5: well the bible says to test everything and i i believe in that so i think we should listen with discerning ears i think I have a 20 and a 22 year old at my house and my primary mission in their life right now is to help them discern, to help them understand how through the lens of scripture and through their own prayers and through their own uh, experience that they can decide what's right and wrong. And oftentimes uh, leaders that are charismatic get away with more. And I, I tell my kids, listen to pastors who have a proven track record and not just to the pastors who entertain you. Be careful not to be attracted to charisma as much as you are a character. I think that's the first step.
0: Mm-hmm we have this is just a funny side note Brady but I'm sure you follow them on Instagram it's called Preachers and Sneakers and yeah literally guys who are up on stage with like $2,500 sneakers and it's this guy who's snarkily kind of calling him out and being like okay let's talk about what's real here and anyway that's just a side note so if you're check what sneakers your pastor is wearing when he's preaching on Sunday and that's a good start but no I'm just kidding
5: no it's a very good start
6: (laughs) could be okay one of the things I think we run into sometimes is saying nothing or saying something and then it's how do we say it and we can we can be nervous about speaking something up to somebody who we see as an authority in our lives when from our perspective, or at least from my perspective, I was just processing this with somebody the other day. That I, I'm more thankful for the person who says something, especially when it's with care and concern, than I am with the person who never said anything and then let it come out sideways or in back rooms and, and gossip in some way. Of just oh, did you see? Did you hear? There's a part of it where yes, we're leading in the church, and there's a part of it where we're we're being part of the Christ and members of each other. And so if you can come to me and say, with care and concern, this is where I see the church going, or this is where I see maybe this fe- we're doing discernment, and this felt a little off, or can we talk about this a little bit? That, can, that opportunity to even talk to your pastor and process more and talk through it can become a point of discernment and a point of accountability, too, of knowing I'm in a congregation where the pastor is accessible to have further conversation around whatever it is that's going on, but use that as a litmus test of are are they open for conversation or is it totally shut down and they're inaccessible?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that is a good point because I would say that, you know, yeah, if you're trying to, not that everyone should have like full on, you know, free range access to all pastors <laughs> at all times and be like, they'll never be able to prep sermons or do whatever. But if your pastor is operating off of this weird, like, um, you know, no, please talk to this fourth deacon you know, seven times removed or something like that—that that could get kind of weird. I don't know, Mark. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I think
7: you actually—I think you answered a lot of just the way you phrased the question. Don't put your pastors on a pedestal. I mean, I think there is honor, and respect that goes with the office. The Bible talks about that, but pedestal is a whole different thing. Uh, he is just a man, uh, and so one—you need to be praying for him. Uh, the other—I—I I, I just. For example, I, you know when I came to Village 7, the pastor wore robes. I didn't want to wear a robe because I thought it put, separated me from the people and made me say, you're somebody special, we're not. You know, Different people have different views about that. I'm not here to make an argument about that. But it's just like, and and frankly, even though we've used it here, I don't even like being called Pastor Mark. I'd rather just be called Mark. Um, I tried that at Village 7. They're too formal. They <laughs> couldn't get away from it. But it was uh, uh, it's like, We're all in the journey of faith together. Yes, God's called me to a special role. Uh, that's, That's certainly true. But we're all in this journey together. And the more you separate the pastor from the people, the more he's isolated, the more the temptation is there. So don't isolate him. Treat him like a person.
0: Okay. All right. So here's a super tricky question that I know, especially around the Ravi Zacharias conversation, um, people have been bringing this up, and I would love to get your take on it. When a pastor seemingly either completely abandons the faith, you know, okay, so maybe that's a Josh Harris situation or some of these other pastors, um, or lives in persistent sin without repenting, and you know, in Ravi's case, then um, had cancer and and died, everyone is asking because we want to know, was this person even saved? How do we understand? How do we wrestle with and grapple with the idea of like, what do I do with this person's life and ministry? Who were they? Am I going to be next? What does this look like? How I mean, I think there's a lot of fear and doubt around the faith itself in light of how do I define this? What does this Hmm. look like? Was this person saved? What hope is there for them? What's your take on that?
5: Well, I hear this a lot from young young people, especially when high profile people have moral failures. Uh, I've had it probably said to me dozens of times. If they can't do it, what makes me think I can do it? And there is a lot of uh, doubt, uh, a lot of fear, and a lot of worry. Uh, I would say this: we are saved by grace, and we're kept by grace. And uh, I I I do believe that there was moments in their lives where they were close to God, these these are not people that were deceptive from the beginning. These are people that started out pure and innocent. I really do believe that most pastors that you know started out pure and innocent and with a pure calling on their life. Somewhere along the way, they got tricked and deceived and began to believe a lie. So for to say that they were never close to God or never had uh, any sense of salvation, I think would be Pretty severe to say that about their lives. And I'm not the one to judge their salvation anyway. That's between them and the Lord. The fruit of their lives early on is what I would judge. And their fruit early was pure and good. The fruit of their lives at the end was not. But I judge people by the fruit they produce.
7: Yeah, I I, I agree with the part. Don't judge. I mean, I don't think I want to make the call on who's in and who's out of heaven. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that's uh, a bit risky. You create a list? Yeah, the, yeah. A, okay. uh, <laughs> I don't think that's our, our calling, you know, separating wheat and tares. But, uh, but the Bible does warn that there are those who seem to be among us who fell away who are not truly among us. I mean, obviously, the most famous example is Judas, but the book of Hebrews uh, alludes to that as well. And I think we have to take those warnings seriously, that someone can look just like us. And, and I'm, I'm going to assume that Judas, the other disciples are going out doing miracles. I'm assuming Judas did, too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and yet, uh, Jesus said it would have been better that he'd never been born. So I think we have to take that seriously. But again, our faith is not in them. Our faith is in the Christ they proclaim. The gospel Ravi Zacharias proclaimed was true regardless of what was going on in his life. And so uh, keep our eyes on Jesus, follow him. We're not following a man.
6: When it comes to some of this, where we start and the fruit that's born, and I absolutely agree with that, taking it, and a verse that I've always thought of is in John when he's talking about, remain in me and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit. Our charge in that moment isn't to bear fruit as much as it is to remain. And that's the hard part is to say, I started in you, I grew in you, I bore fruit in you. And then all of a sudden I got distracted or I got off base, or I thought I had to figure out how to keep bearing this fruit or maintaining this fruit on my own. And Jesus will bring us back to, no, your goal, your mission is to continue to remain in me. And I'm the one responsible for growth. I'm the one responsible for maintaining that fruit. I care more about that than you do. So, It turns us back to that. Where where did it go wrong? It might have been that we focused on maintaining the fruit than remaining in Christ in the first place.
0: Yeah, it's really good that you say that. And it's funny because it hearkens to something I'm studying right now and just a a re-emphasis on the aspect of faith being, uh, you know, uh, the Christian life requiring effort— but the effort is towards trusting. It's not toward behaving. It's not toward performing. It's not. So, the effort, if we put the effort into trusting God and the character of God and walking out our faith, clinging to Him, abiding, John 15, yeah, then, you know, then He's responsible for the fruit. And I think that's so freeing because, again, if we're trying to manufacture, like, how many, you know, X number of congregants or how many books have I published or what, you know, do I do I look super, you know, rock star on a Sunday or whatever, it's crazy making and you're going to fail the standard every time. So I like uh, that you made that distinction, Evan. Thank you. Um, Okay, so kind of part two of that question, though, is (laughs) because this is um, another thing that I hear a lot from our audience. What then do we do with the ministry that they have done? So this is where, I mean, okay, so we talk here... (laughs) we're always talking at Boundless because we're just caught up in it. Cancel culture. We're canceling everything these days where, you know, it's it's either some celebrity or some politician has said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing. So now everything that they've ever done is completely irrelevant. Uh, They need to be canceled. They will no longer have any effectiveness. There are pastors and leaders out there who have created ministries, who have written books, who have preached sermons what, I mean, I can guess at kind of where we're going to go with this, but I would love for you guys to be very clear about what does this mean for, you know, and Sam addressed this in the article. How do we kind of give, I mean, is there a waiting period? Is there like, what do we do? (laughs) Do we give like a litmus test, put our finger to the wind? Like, okay, now they're okay enough, you know, whatever. Um, Help us, (laughs) help us figure this out. Because again, we want to give the benefit of the doubt. We want to be trusting. We want to trust God in all this, but what does that look like practically?
5: Well the Bible is full of people who made mistakes I mean that they did good things they made mistakes yet we still we still read and revere the psalms of David even though David later in his life had a tremendous moral failure but he had already written plenty of psalms that we still revere so yeah. I think there are I moments where people's.
0: Just don't read those psalms, Brady. <laughs> saying, well, i no, just, I, cut <laughs> ones. I cut those out of my Bible. No, yeah,
5: cut, yeah. So canceled. we got to go back and yeah. cut out about forty or fifty of the <laughs> yeah. psalms that okay. David wrote before okay. his moral failure. You know, so I think the point is is that uh, the things that bear good fruit, we should we should uh, read and we should learn from that. And uh, again, there are times when men and women both have profound wisdom and profound strength and we should learn from that and not discount that just because they had a moral failure at some point in their life. Take the good and, and use it and, and learn from it and grow from it. And I do think that cancel culture makes us throw out the baby with the bathwater and let's, let's take the good, test everything, test what is good and throw away what is bad and learn to discern the difference between the two.
7: Same time, I'm really hesitant to quote Ravi Zacharias right now, yeah. and uh, not because it's not necessarily true. I'm thinking about the people who've been traumatized by right. him, and then you know, women who may be hearing what I'm saying who've been traumatized by other people, and you're going, you're lifting this guy up, and you're not being sensitive to what I have gone through. In the same way, you know, many of my theological heroes from the past were slave owners or white supremacists. I mean, Jonathan Edwards being a prime example and, uh, you know, early American Puritan. And and so uh, you're thinking going into an African-American audience and saying, hey, here's a great hero, Jonathan Edwards, or let's be uh, leaders like Robert E. Lee. You know, it, it's um, I think we need to show some sensitivity to those who've been wounded and victimized. That again doesn't mean again I would say, you know, what Robbie much of what he said was excellent and it's true. But man, I am hesitant to use the materials right now. Just it's almost honest. like
5: we we should throw away the Declaration of Independence because Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. Right. I mean we can take the good part of his life and mm-hmm. and, 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 and celebrate it mm-hmm. and at the same time brings uh, you know honest judgment mm-hmm. on the other parts of his life that did not measure up to the right. biblical standards. But there were good things that he did. Uh, while making—he also made some really bad choices as well, and we should Mm -hmm. call both of those things into account. Part of all
6: this, I'd be curious if we're confusing ever the truth that's coming through a person versus where does that truth come from in the first place, Mm -hmm. and appreciating somebody like Ravi and everything that he said that revealed unto us in a very intelligent, well-thought-through, eloquent way, truth— But understanding in the end, I am the way and the truth and the life, and it's always Jesus, and there's no truth apart from him. So thank you for the truth of Jesus that you did help us understand. And at the same time, am I discerning where maybe it got off base and and knowing it may have come through you, but it doesn't come from you. So when the moment was there, I can understand. Thank you, Jesus. And when it wasn't, I can say, and Jesus let me pray for him, and let me let me ask for 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 the whole of the body to be continually connected to you the way the truth and the life
0: so um guys, for the young adults kind of who are in church now, you know whether they're in your your churches <laughs> where you're pastoring or or elsewhere, um what would you say you know they're kind of like I, oh, why should we even stay in church? I mean the whole mm. the whole idea of like isn't it a lot safer for me to just kind of you know take my podcasts as they come down into my you know Apple Podcasts and just kind of like hang with my friends and do a Bible study with them or whatever? Or, or should we really still be doing church? And and if so, how do I kind of venture forward? with with some, you know, element of, of trust and knowing that I may have to be talking to non-Christian friends of mine to explain this, like, why are you even still in this thing called Christianity in this church? It's just a big farce, whatever. What's your encouragement to the young adult who wants to stay the course, wants to be in Christian community, but is just kind of like, oh, I don't want to get burned?
5: Well, there is a risk of getting hurt. Every relationship that we enter into in life has a risk of pain and a risk of harm. And if we live our lives trying to avoid risk, then you're going to miss out on most of the beautiful moments that God's intended for you. Uh, Marriage and friendship, every relationship that God sends to us has the potential for harm, but it also has a greater potential of beauty and growth. And so you can't. You can't run from risk, and church is risky. Church is painful. But church is a place where there are lots of beautiful things happening, and the church needs you. That's what I would say to the 20-year-olds. The church needs you, and you need the church. And inside the messy community of church, you're going to find something more beautiful than you can imagine. And yes, there's uh, pain. Yes, there's risk. But there is more beauty than pain. I, I have just found Amen. in Amen. 35 years of going to church, there's much more beautiful things happening in the church than painful things. And you, you can't trade one
7: for the other. Yeah, one of the things we said, the, why some of these leaders... Fail, uh, fell is because of uh, isolation. So I don't think greater isolation is the solution to the problem. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, and uh, that we need those real relationships and we need cross-generational relationships. One of the things, if, if you're in a church and there's nobody in the church that irritates you, you're not in a good church. You need to be in a church where somebody there is driving you nuts. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together said it's those who idealize the Christian community who end up destroying it. The Christian community does not live up to the ideal. It's a community by grace, and we relate to one another based not on our own performance, but on what Christ has done for us. And so you have to be in the church because in the church, Paul gives us all these one another commands, and twice he says we're to forgive one another. So his assumption is you're going to be sinned against in the church. So I'm going to go beyond what he said. Is there a risk in relationships that you'll get hurt? I think we all say that's actually not true. It's not a risk. It's a certainty. Yeah. You will be <laughs> right. hurt, and uh, and but that's part of living out the gospel.
0: Well, kind of as we as we finish out here in just our last couple of minutes, um, I also want to kind of turn the camera or I guess the mic inward uh, towards our listener and you know we we should realize if we haven't already that you know the the common saying is there but for the grace of god go i and so this is not any place for any of us listening right now to be pointing fingers or being like oh these pastors they're all a bunch of jerks and they're just you know fakes and and all this kind of stuff we are all sinners um we're all failing we're all i mean thank goodness you know some of us don't you know, have to be in the spotlight or have nearly the scrutiny, you know, that some Mm -hmm. people do. Um, But what's your advice to a listener who's like, you know, I mean, there's a listener here who is just completely torn up with pornography. There's a listener who is constantly justifying rage and anger towards family members or towards whatever any of us need to be in the accountability, in the grace in the understanding of what it means to Mark's point to be the church, to realize that relationships are messy. Um, What would you say for that person who, because again, it's not not like, oh, well, I want to be a pastor someday, so I better figure out how to live the Christian life perfectly. I mean, all of us are, are ultimately accountable to God himself. So what would be your advice to the person listening just as far as like, hey, let's take some time here and look inward and figure out how do I get right with God and with others in this sense?
5: Well, we all need grace. And I, I can't live without grace. And the first person I need to give grace to is myself. Because if I don't give myself grace, I won't give anyone else grace. And I need to learn to live with myself, forgive myself, be honest with myself. Because the way I live with myself will ultimately determine the way I live with others. And I need to be good to myself. I need to be forgiving to myself. I need to be honest with myself so that when I'm in relationships with the people around me, I can be honest and good and forgiving to them. And so for those of you that are listening that are having a tough time, you need to forgive yourself, be good to yourself, give yourself grace. And that will allow you to give grace away when you find yourself around other messy people.
6: As we're navigating a lot of this life and this current culture, it, it, it oftentimes to me feels very kind of dark and confusing. It's not clear. It's not bright. And I, I don't see everything perfectly. And we go to this analogy um, in, in my life a lot of of how the, the seafarers of old navigated during the night. And it wasn't by just a singular star, but it was by the constellation of it. So looking at what is the broader network of how do we navigate everything going on. And it's not just one person and one source, which is where we can fall into a, into a pit, but it's a community of friendships, a community of mentors, of what I call mama bears and papa bears, who are gonna love you and call you out on your stuff and encourage you and push you forward. Counselors, spiritual directors, people that we're serving, and broadening that to a point where it becomes a constellation imagery of I'm navigating by multiple points through this darkness and at the same time saying and come lord jesus because when the sun rises and everything becomes clear we see it as in the as in the day and he is coming and so while it's still night we're we're getting help from a myriad of others to do the best we can navigating where we're at yeah
0: It's so funny you say that, because I I think to myself, wow, I've been in Christian ministry for a long time, and it's very easy for me to get judgy of leaders that I know, leaders I've served under, uh, who I would say, oh, well, you know what? All they do is they just surround themselves with yes men who are going to tell them (laughs) what they want to hear. And then I'm like, as Evan's talking, I'm like, wait a minute, do I do that? (laughs) Am I just just asking for opinions from people that I know are going to tell me exactly what I want to hear? And it's like, it's hard to go after those people and to find those people that are going to be honest with you and are going to risk the relationship and risk the hurt to be able to tell you um, what you need to hear. And I think it would behoove us to be proactive in, in fact, I wrote an article for Boundless titled... I want honest feedback, but not really. Um, so <laughs> kind of <laughs> born out of my own experience and my experience with others in that sense, but um, but that's a great point of just, yeah, what how are we uh, directing ourselves in our own hearts in the midst of that? so uh,
7: n- Not much to add. I mean, it's that you know like we were saying, the transparency getting those relationships with your open. I uh, had a friend said that uh, accountability is not a finger to the chest, but an arm around the shoulder. And so we need those people who are holding us that kind of accountable. And you still is the word, prayer, sacraments. It's just the ordinary things that God's given to us to grow. But if you're not being transparent with other people, those things probably aren't going to take root. But we have to believe the gospel. We have to believe we really are forgiven. And uh, I can't remember who said it. Pardon precedes power. And the more we believe we are pardoned and forgiven, the more we experience the power of the Spirit in our lives.
0: Good thoughts. All right. Thank you so much, Mark Bates, Brady Boyd, and Evan Reedall. Thanks for weighing in on this and for being honest from your own experiences and hopeful for the state of the church and obviously for the gospel moving forward. Thanks for having us.
7: Thank you.
4: This beauty
0: As we finish out this week's show, uh, we get to open up our inbox, and I'm always excited when we can welcome one of our counselors to the table here. So Patrick Hill is here. Hey, Patrick. Hey there. Hey there. Wonderful to have you. Um, Okay. Well, we have got kind of a dating question, kind of a family question. It wraps a lot of things uh, together in this, and so let me read what our listener is asking. Uh, she says, My boyfriend and I have been dating for about seven months, and we've been friends for years. After praying, we felt that God wanted us to move forward in dating. My mom loves him, but my dad is skeptical because we come from totally different backgrounds. Before our relationship, he struggled with major pornography addiction, and I had some past struggles in that area too. With God's help, we've both made great progress, and it's less of an issue, though we still deal with the consequences. That said, do our past porn struggles and background differences mean we shouldn't be
8: dating? Such a great question. I love I love the insight here, the awareness, the desire to do things right and well. So I'm going to break this down, the answer, in, in two different sections. First, the pornography issue. So pornography is no joke. This is something we don't want to mess with. We want to take it seriously. Sounds like they're they're doing that, at least looking at it, which is good. The part that stuck out here for me is the major pornography addiction. This is something we want to be very intentional about, very focused on with regard to a continued relationship. They have awareness. That's great. If they're seeking help, even better. But the the help has to be something that's intentional. It has to be focused and it has to be continued. There there needs to be good solid accountability in this area. This is something we hear about a lot here at Focus with with folks that have maybe gone through the process of getting married. Then we will hear from them and say, Golly, I had this porn addiction before we were married and I thought the marriage was going to fix it. Or the relationship was going to fix it. That very rarely ever happens. Typically, the way this works is the person will stop doing the porn for a time because of the newness of the relationship. But then once that relationship has settled in, they will fall back into these old patterns. So super important to look at counseling, ongoing accountability and care, particularly if there is an addiction here without question that needs to be addressed. So first and foremost. Uh, Secondly, let's talk about the background differences in the parent's input always so wise to listen to our, our parents, especially if they're grounded folks that that love Jesus and they want to speak into our lives. The bottom line is our parents, uh, most of the time, are in our corner. They love us. They know us better than any other, other than the Lord himself, and they're going to want to speak life into us. So receive that, that wise counsel as appropriate, recognizing as an adult you still have the freedom to choose to make your own decisions, but the Bible speaks pretty specifically about seeking wise counsel from others, particularly our parents. So we want to listen to the counsel. Uh, seek the Lord. At the end of the day, every one of us stands before the judgment seat. We give an account of our lives, not our counselors. So we have to to be responsible for our own decisions, uh, with regard to relationships or anything else. So seeking God to make sure He's given the green light. For this relationship, I mean, backgrounds, pornography issues, all that stuff, those are things God can heal, particularly when we are intentional about pursuing healing. We can come out of the other side of a relationship like this even stronger mm-hmm. for the work that they put into this today.
0: Yeah. Well, great insight. um, Great reminder as well. And it always, uh, I'm always reminded when we have a question like this and when we have one of our counselors here that we have actually got a team of counselors here at Focus on the Family. So if this is you, whether you ask this question or whether you're in a similar situation, we've actually been talking about sexuality and porn a lot here on The Boundless Show because it just is what it is. But again, as Patrick said, you know, we can't just play. You know, this is like God doesn't play uh, when it comes to this. So I want you to know uh, of the resources and the availability you have to get some further counsel in this direction by calling us at 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-FAMILY. 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. Um, to get a consultation, a complimentary consultation with one of our counselors who can then maybe recommend some resources for you and even connect you to a, a vetted counselor in your area for continued care. You can also go to focusonthefamily.com and uh, look, click on the area that says uh, get counseling resources. There's a whole button there that's going to take you to a page with advice, resources, further direction uh, in that regard. So that's a great place to start as well. So thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. As always, we do want to hear from you. If you have a question uh, that we can address in the future, write to us at editor at boundless.org, and we will get to that as soon as we can. Of course, we've answered a ton in the past, so go to boundless.org and search our archive of questions and answers. There may be something there that you would find helpful. Otherwise, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show.
5: The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family. <laughs>